Thanks for joining me, Pete Holtzman, for the Credentials Only Podcast, where you are introduced to people who work in sports. Today's guest is Major League Lacrosse Commissioner Sandy Brown, a longtime broadcast executive. Brown became the commissioner of MLL in 2018. Whether you're running a television network or you're running a league, you're still running a business. And so obviously all the, you know, the same principles come into play. This year, the league played its 20th season. But rather than a summer-long celebration of the anniversary in each of its team's home markets, coronavirus forced the league to play its entire season in just eight July days in Annapolis, Maryland. As with all leagues, planning to resume play during the pandemic was a unique process. Obviously, before we did anything, we had to make sure that we had a protocol in place that ultimately was going to be something that was going to be acceptable for the players and the coaches and for our our local and state officials. We did a lot of diligence developing the protocol. By many metrics, Brown considered the season a success, even as the virus impacted their year. We ended up having to deal with the COVID issue. We were able to deal with it very swiftly, very professionally, the level head, and all the preparation that we had paid off in spades. That preparation was helped by getting a lot of input from physicians and government officials, as well as colleagues in a number of different leagues. It's all about best practices. It's not a question of who's got a better mousetrap. We're all trying to we're all trying to give people whatever input we can and share whatever experiences we've got so they can use them going forward. Check out credentialsonly.com for show notes that include more information on what we discussed in this episode. And please take a moment to leave a rating or review wherever you are listening. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Sandy Brown, the commissioner of Major League Lacrosse on Credentials Only. Sandy, thanks for joining me. You guys just completed the 20th year of Major League Lacrosse. I imagine this is pretty much how you anticipated such a milestone anniversary season to go, huh? Yeah, we, were, uh, we thought this is exactly how it was going to play out. <laughs> What's your normal year like? Well, that's a great question. I mean, for 18 years, our normal year was that we would we would start our season in the third week of, of April and go to the middle of August. And my first year, that's what we ended up doing. I quickly discovered why that was not the optimal way of doing things. So last year, Last summer, we had, we basically started our season after the NLL season had concluded at the end of May and started beginning of June and went to the 6th of October. And this year, we probably were not going to go till October. We probably would have gone directly just to Labor Day. But in any event, you know, that window between Memorial Day and Labor Day is probably the optimal sweet spot for us, uh, at least now. You know, I, I think there's the ability to, to play more. And I think, you know, playing that extra month, that extra five weeks probably was a bit of a, a drain on a few people. But, uh, you know, in our business, the more content, the better. Everything stops in early March. What's the first start of this pro- step of this process as you guys assess the world as we suddenly had to learn it? I mean, obviously, given what transpired, we had to, we had two new teams, one in Philadelphia, one in Connecticut. And we have all new fan bases and one fan base and basically hadn't had a team in that market for a while in Philadelphia. And, you know, we really desperately wanted to be able to, to give those fans an opportunity to be able to, to see their teams. 
the problem we obviously encountered was there were certain states that were open to having us and there were certain states that weren't and candidly at that particular time there were no states that were open to us um and so we had to see how this was all going to evolve we there's a lot of trial and error there was a lot of obviously before we did anything we had to make sure that we had a protocol in place that ultimately was going to be something that was going to be acceptable for the players and the coaches and for our our local and state officials and it just so happened that as we went down the path we did a lot of diligence in terms of developing the protocol there's a lot of best practices that we shared so forth and so on but at the same time um, you know, we had to look at each individual market and decide where there was the opportunity for us to be able to play. And we also looked at our television windows and where that opportunity was. And, um, uh, and it just so happened that the state of Maryland was well down the track and had done a very good job in, in managing the COVID situation and provided us that opportunity again. Uh, consistent with the protocol that they felt was, you know, was stable enough uh, for us to be able to have our games there. And, and you're talking to local government officials. You're also talking to health experts. And the, the information on the health side, the medical side, is changing rapidly as we learn more about this disease. You've got owners, you've got players, broadcasters, partners, a lot of inputs. How do you set up an environment where you're going to get all the pertinent data you need, but not also just be drowning in too many voices? <clears throat> Well, I would say a couple things. First thing is we were very organized about this. The individual that we used to, to manage this process for us is a guy that I hired from the Detroit Pistons to basically run all of our events. So when you run events, you've got to, you're juggling so many different balls at the same time, you've got to be incredibly organized. He, he did an absolutely phenomenal job in being, managing this whole process for us, in my estimation. And, um, and I reached out to other commissioners to get their take in terms of what they're doing and so forth. And it really, it was a lot of trial and error. At the end of the day, we, we started, our base case was this Bundesliga document that was just a voluminous and, and extremely well-crafted protocol. And the base, that, that was, that's what we looked at initially to say, okay, well, here's, the thing here are the things we're going to have to consider, and obviously a lot of those things didn't apply to us, but at least it gave us a, gave us a sense of what we were up, what we were in for. And then we spent a lot of time talking to physicians that are associated with the league that also have relationships with the other professional leagues. So there's a lot of mind share, a lot of best practices, and as any physician will tell you, this was very much a make it up as we go along kind of thing because they're just not they're not used to it. I mean. I had the benefit of living through SARS in Singapore back in the, you know, 2003, 2004, 2002, 2003, sorry. So I had, I, I had had a little experience with this, but, um, but obviously on a much different scale and in this current scenario. So we had to make sure that everybody was comfortable with, with our protocol. And there are a lot of revisions that we, that we employed with that. And, and again, the players were in this conversation from the outset and then state and local officials. Um, and so 
we ended up having to deal with the COVID issue. We were able to deal with it very swiftly, very professionally, the level head, and all the preparation that we had paid off in spades. The more prepared you are, the easier it is to tackle it when something does happen. You're thinking about this, literally you're thinking about this for three months. Just what are the various scenarios? What do you do? And, and the hard part is, is that until it actually sets in, you don't know. And, and we had that situation and we were very measured about the whole thing and we knew what, we, what had to be done. But when you're a 22, 23, 24-year-old kid, those, that's very new territory, and, and it's something that you have to manage accordingly. Uh, we have uh, one of our coaches is in his early 70s. You know, obviously that's a concern to him. We have coaches that have um, – and players that have small children. So we got to be cognizant of that and respectful of that, which is why – we said to the players, if you're going to opt out, we get it. You know, it's, we understand the situation. You compress the season into a very small period of time compared to going over a few months. How short was the season and how many games did you get in during that period? We got in 15 games. Sorry, we got in 16 games. Um, and we were supposed to have 17 each team played five games and then we ever have to have a semis and then a championship game. And we didn't play the semis because of the COVID uh, issue, but you know, our games generally our game count is in the fifties. And so it was obviously down considerably given, you know, what we're dealing with this, this particular season. But you've chose July. I'm guessing that because the players said, yes, please mid Atlantic heat and humidity. You were strategic in, in kind of picking your week on the calendar what went into that decision? Well, a couple things. One was um, we had a state that was willing to, to accept us, as was the Naval Academy. Our television windows, because we didn't want to get lost in the shuffle in August when all the other professional leagues are back and we thought we'd take advantage of what we had. And ESPN was able to give us three linear windows, which was, uh, which was very important. And we did very well in plus. That was a that was a home run for us. You know, the television piece of it was pretty important. The other thing which we didn't know was we didn't know the where this virus was gonna head. So for example, with states opening up and then starting to shut down again, we didn't want to be in a situation where, okay, we're gonna wait and do this at the end of August and all of a sudden the world changes on us again. We wanted to get our season off. We encountered a lot of different elements to this. You know, I, I think it was one of our more successful seasons yet. You talked about the Bundesliga document and talking to other commissioners. And uh, there certainly is a certain amount of you guys are so unique in the roles that you have that you, you can, you're, you're a select group to share these experiences. But it seems like that level of information sharing in this crisis has been unprecedented. It, how helpful was that? And do you think it's a, an industry change that might carry on for the few years after COVID? Well, that's an actually, and it's an excellent point. I would say to you that, that it's all about best practices. No one, it's not a question of who's got a better mousetrap. We're all trying to give people whatever input we can and share whatever experiences we've got so they can use them going forward. And truth be known, I mean, 
many of the many of us really didn't know what to do in this scenario. And all we knew is that we had the benefit of the medical experts basically instructing us on here are the things that need to happen in terms of testing protocol, in terms of distancing, in terms of you know wearing your mask, um, you know, so forth and so on. It's a litany of different things that we had to keep in mind. We all have um, you know, a shared goal of trying to provide the safest environment we can for not only our players, but our fans. And none of us have had to deal with the fans. That's the other element that we, for all intents and purposes, we got off scot-free with respect to the fans. But, you know, that's a whole other set of dynamics that we're going to have to, you know, see how that plays out, obviously, over the course of this fall with what happens, you know, with respect to football. Certainly opportunities for everybody to continue to lean on each other as we get into fans coming back and everything. But I just getting back to your point, I think, I think the, 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 the conversations between the different professional leagues um, was, has been very beneficial and we're all, we're all in the same boat in terms of trying to basically salvage our businesses. And, um, and this is just one piece of it, an important piece, but it's one piece of it. We touched on the voices in the room as you're making the decisions. There's then that outbound communication. What was the process like for you with all that stakeholder communication from the players to the fans and and all the sponsors and other partners? Well, again, the first and foremost consideration were our players is health and safety of our players. And so we had to make sure that that was, that that was not impugned in any way. And so they had to be part of the conversation gladly uh, at the outset, same with the coaches. Our sponsors obviously were interested in make sure that we had a proper protocol in place. Certainly our television partners did because they're producing the games. They're going to be present. So we've got to make sure that we're spit shine on that front and, and respond. If we have an issue, respond very quickly. You know, I, I think that, as I said earlier, the preparation was absolutely paramount. Our, our fans knew what the deal was in terms of the fact that we couldn't, we probably were not going to be able to have fans and that really is a that is not as much to do with us as it is with the state and local governments allowing that to happen, because obviously there's a certain level of screening that's got to take place, and you know we have to see what the impact of that again is going to be this fall, and obviously getting into next year. I think we, as a league, benefit from the fact that we're outside. We don't have the issues of being inside like a lot of others do. And, um, and that makes our situation a little little different. You guys did have one kind of fundamental change to the way you normally present your game in that your teams moved. Um, you weren't on the same sideline as they had been in the past. Mm -hmm. What led to that change? And then do you think that actually is a positive that might continue in the next season? Yeah, I think, I think it's, I think it was a very good positive. I mean, we did that for distancing purposes. Um, traditionally, teams are on the same sideline. There's a substitution box, which candidly very chaotic. Um, there's a different dynamic between the teams in that scenario. And then we, we basically took that out of the equation. So we put substitution boxes on both sides of the field. It created for... It opened the game up. We it, it cleaned it up, and it created a much more you know a, a, a 
wider open game. There was more transition. It made it easier to officiate, I think. And it just created the – there was a less propensity for um, for the teams to engage in a lot of, uh, shall we say, idle chatter during the, uh, you know, during the game. And, and just – I think it's just a different dynamic. Now, this league has always been – it has a reputation for being an innovator in the sport. And this is one of the innovations that came out of – which we hadn't counted on. But I think we're going to keep it. I don't think – I don't see us changing Everything is so thrown off kilter this year. As you do go back, and, and it sounds like you're happy with the season, but it's not like you have KPIs you probably put in place for this. So how do you assess this and find the value and, and the positives? So our numbers, our ESPN numbers were off the charts this year. I mean, they were, they were fantastic. Our um, social media content was off the charts. Quality of the content was outstanding. I, I am. I couldn't be more proud of our team. I mean, I think we we started we started having daily calls after we got back from Christmas, and then we moved to Zoom in March. And every every day from ten to ten thirty or ten forty five every day, and then there are other calls that come out as a result of that. But you know, everyone just banded together and put put it out there and put their lives on the line. In certain cases, we had one of our staff members contract the virus sadly and she's on the mend but you know we we, um it was a team effort just a total team effort and i think i think we did ourselves a lot of favors as a result of uh of this you are not the only pro lacrosse league in the united states is there competition with the others or does it you know the tide rise all boats in terms of what the business in general and get generating interest in the sport with sponsors, with fans, even attracting players. Yeah. I mean, I would tell you that the indoor league is, we're very aligned with the indoor league. Uh, you know, we moved our season to line up with theirs because we have 47 of our guys that play in that league. The other outdoor league, I, you know, and I, I've been very public about this. I, I don't think it's a good thing for the sport. And I say that only because of the fact that, it just has bifurcated our sponsor bases and bifurcated our fan bases. I believe sports are tribal. So we're, our teams are ingrained in the communities in which they reside. You know, the, the, our fan bases are absolutely paramount to anything that we do, and they will be going forward. I think that if you're a lacrosse fan, you're agnostic in terms of you want to be able to see your hometown team play. You can't do that right now. So you now have two leagues out there that where you can where you can watch some great lacrosse and and I think I think both leagues deliver outdoor leagues deliver on the promise of great lacrosse. And if you look at it purely in that context, you know I, I think that that it has been a boon for you know the individual lacrosse fan. You mentioned that you were living in Singapore. You've worked with ESPN Star Sports and with CNBC Asia. I'm curious to know, having lived in that part of the world where broadcast is different and sport is different, how much of that has influenced and given you kind of a unique perspective as you've gotten back into here in the U.S. and now working with the league? In terms of, in terms of COVID or just in general? Just in general. Well, I mean, it's... They're, they're very different businesses, obviously. I mean, I, the television piece um, has been very valuable. Um, 
because Candelier television product was not very good when I came to the league and it's done a 180 um, on what it was before. And that's something that I've always made a big priority. You know, I'm happy to see that we've got some, we've gotten some good results. You know, you're, you're, whether you're running a television network or you're running a league, you're still running a business. And so obviously all the, you know, the same principles come into play. So I suppose that I can probably look at things with a bit more of a critical eye just because I've had the benefit of experience. And I think in this situation with respect to the COVID initiatives that we've had this year, that's been another big, uh, you know, that's been important just being able to have that context. Do you envision international growth opportunities for lacrosse? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think the Olympics are going to be interesting. This, you know, there are 56 countries that play. I think that, that assuming that the sport does get in the Olympics, that's going to be a, that's going to turbocharge the whole thing. I'm a big fan of it. I have been forever. And I think there's a lot of runway for the sport. And I said, certainly in this country, given what's happening from a youth perspective, no question about it. As a professional organization, how important is it for you to engage on that youth side? Oh, it's hugely important. I mean, that's where our fan is. I mean, we, our fan is probably somewhere between 10 and you know, our core fan is somewhere between 10 and 20. And so it's very important that, I mean, my goal is to have these kids want to play for the Boston Cannons. And that's their, that's what they're, that's what they want to achieve is to play for the Boston Cannons um, or play for the Bayhawks or the Outlaws or what have you, as opposed to my final stop in the sport is going to be playing for Hopkins or Maryland or, um, Syracuse, what have you. What do you see as next now for your league now that 2020 season's done? What do you see in 21 for you guys? Well, it's, there are two things. One is we want to add more teams. You know, we need more teams, no question about it. Um, and on the, then in the sports betting landscape, that's another set of issues for us. I mean, this has been, for all of us, it's trying to get our seasons off, and that's been our focus this year, full stop. Um, now that we're, you know, we've gotten that done now, we can really dig in in terms of a lot of the other things that are going to be important for us going forward so that we can look toward having a full season for next year. And so that's my, you know, that's my job one, two, and three for, you know, going forward. It's really, really looking at it from the standpoint of, you know, a new investors in the league and then obviously um, the, uh, in the gambling space. If you'll indulge me, I close all my episodes with six rapid fire questions here. Uh, the first one is what are podcasts or newsletters that you're listening to or reading to stay informed? So, uh, John Arand, I mean, I, I stick to my knitting in terms of what I, you know, the things that interest me, John Arand, uh, Ed Desser and John Kozner, uh, Moffat Nathanson. Those are, you know, three sources for me that, I, of, you know, that I find, uh, very, uh, very interesting. And then anything that comes out of SBJ. So I can, you know, listen to Bill Sutton, who I, I think, uh, has a lot to say and a lot of good value. Um, you know, those are things that are important to me. There's probably overlap then to this next question of your most valuable follows on social media, the people you, the posts you don't want to miss. Yeah. Or, and ESPN, us across. Are there a couple books you'd recommend people read? Yeah, I mean, the one book which I, which I, I mean, it was a history major in college, uh, which was the book by David Rubenstein, 
American history. Um, the Splendid and the Vile, which is a recent book on Churchill. Uh, Chris Wallace's book on the, uh, this recent book on Hiroshima, I thought was a very good, uh, you know, was, was great. I mean, I love, I'm a big nonfiction reader. I love reading history. And, and uh, you know, those are three that, uh, that's always stood out. The, the Rubenstein book I thought was outstanding. Are you streaming anything on TV these days? ESPN Plus and <laughs> Prime Video. What are your, what's your favorite sports memory as a kid? Actually, two. Uh, being from Baltimore, um, and you can see Johnny Unitas in the background. Um, the Orioles winning the 1970 World Series, and then the Colts getting back to the playoffs in the mid-'70s after just being at the bottom of the barrel in the league for a long time. So those are two great memories of mine. Those turnaround stories always just feel a little bit better, don't they? I do. My last question, working in sports, you get a lot of credentials. As commissioner, you probably don't need them as much as a, a guy like I would, but do you keep those credentials at all? Yeah, I keep them in a shoebox. My Adidas, I had, I had a pair of uh, Adidas cleats when I was a senior in high school, and I, that shoebox has got, it's sort of my box with all my treasures, and so I've got all my credentials in that shoebox. <laughs> That's fantastic. I really appreciate the time, Sandy. Thanks so much. Congratulations on the season and looking forward to seeing how you guys grow in 2021. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate you having me. There is so much to learn from leagues and teams as sport returns during coronavirus. And I'd like to thank Sandy for sharing from his experiences this season. Thanks to you for listening. Don't forget, you can find more information on what we discussed in the show notes on credentialsonly.com. While you're there, drop us your email address and we'll slide into your inbox when we have a new episode to share. And please do leave a review or rating wherever you access podcasts. Mike Boucher is our editor at Credentials Only, which is a Holter Media production. <laughs>